I like Matthew's accounts and as a, a geography uh, major way back in the day, uh, I love the way he describes the story of Jesus' uh, location, how he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, how he had to flee to exile in Egypt, and then how he made his way back all the way north to the little town of Nazareth. And now here in this part, verse 13, he makes his home base, and it's a beautiful description, Capernaum by the sea. Capernaum by the sea. It reminds me of some of those little names of towns and villages in Britain. Capernaum by the sea. This would become the ministry base for Jesus uh, after the arrest of John, we're told there in verse 12. So you can picture that little fishing town or village. It was a popular place. The shipping industry, the fishing industry was alive and well there. And it was also a, a strategic trade route. Uh, location was so important there. It was a village of around a thousand people. And when I read this description of Capernaum, it made me think of those little fishing towns and villages on the uh, coast of Nova Scotia. It made me think of Lewisburg and uh, Nova Scotia, a little village that was kind of like a, a ghost town most of the year. But in July, right from mid-May to mid-July, it just came alive. Lobster fishing season. All the boats would head out 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 5 a.m. And we would go down and we'd have our picnic and we'd watch and watch those little fishing vessels come all the way back with their catch. Busy day had happened. Busy day is gone. And just the village came to life as the produce was processed and, and sold. That's this picture here of Capernaum. It's a, a ministry center for Jesus. Uh, it's going to be a, a place of real importance for him. Was it a, a tactical withdrawal that Jesus made from Nazareth to Capernaum? Well, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus' own people rejected Jesus in Nazareth. They tried to actually push him off a cliff. Now, that's a bad way to be received as a preacher. They want to push you off the cliff. That's what they wanted to do for Jesus there in Nazareth. Matthew omits what really was the first year of obscurity in Jesus' ministry. You can read John 1-4. to You can read the story there of the, the wedding at Cana of Galilee. story of Nicodemus, the... Uh, Woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman, you've got the first appearance of Jesus at a, at a Passover celebration in Jerusalem. Matthew omits that material and he takes us into Galilee. He takes us into this second year of ministry for Jesus. In that place, Galilee, you had around 300,000 people living. You had over 200 little towns and villages. And here we have Jesus going from village to village, town to town in this ministry. And as he does so, as he begins from that uh, ministry center of Capernaum by the sea, we're going to look at three things. Fulfillment, followers, and fame. Very easy to remember this morning. Fulfillment, followers, and fame. So let's turn together to God's word. Let's begin there, verses 12 to 17. Uh, Matthew wants to remind us again, and we'll see this throughout the gospel. He reminds us again and again, this was to fulfill prophecy. 
Jesus moving from Nazareth all the way to Capernaum was to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. Any Christmas Eve uh, service usually includes these words in verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. They're from Isaiah 9 verses 1 and 2. Jesus' light shines in the darkness of these tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali in the northern part of what was Israel. A light has dawned. Look at verse 16 here. A light has dawned. Now again, a light in the darkness, that's an image, that's a metaphor every one of us here can uh, understand. I think of those... uh, Many, many transatlantic flights back to visit family in Ireland. And uh, always around uh, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning, you'd open the, you'd open the little shutter at the window and uh, you'd look out and you'd begin to see the, the sign of the sun rising, the, the dawn coming from the east. And you'd say, great, we're almost there. We're almost in Dublin. We're almost in London. It's good news. Light has dawned. Jesus came to minister in a very dark, dark location. These northern tribes, Zebulun, Naphtali, they were part of the tribes of Israel that had been unfaithful to God. God had told them to go in, to drive out the other nations, to have no other gods before him, but they'd done the exact opposite. And as a result, God had sent them off to exile into Assyria, 722 BC, and he had replaced them there with many of the Gentile people who lived there at that time. This was a place that's described there. Look at it, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's how he describes it from Isaiah there in verse 15. A people not only living in darkness, But they're also, verse 16, facing the shadow of death. What a place of darkness there. Jesus fulfills this prophecy of a light dawning. And he does so as he shows us God's grace, God's favor to that uh, despised, political backwater that was Galilee. If you you came from Galilee, people laughed at you because of their accents. Can't understand that one at all. But uh, there was an accent there that was very, very strong in those northern tribes. And that's where Jesus came to minister. That's where the light dawns. Now again, we think of this and we realize it's not just Naphtali and uh, Zebulun that there's darkness today. We too were born, as Errol explained, we were born in spiritual darkness. We too need the light of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, if we're honest, we know that we desire darkness because that's our default setting. We don't want our deeds exposed. We don't want people to know what we're struggling with and sin in our lives. So then we ask ourselves, well, how do we how do we enter into this light? How can we come and turn away from this darkness? Well, look at verse 17. Here's the key again. Same message of John the Baptist, same message of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want to leave your spiritual darkness behind this morning? Here's the key. 
We don't come, as it were, into a kingdom where we go passport in hand. As if you're crossing into the U.S., you come with your passport. You want a hat there. There is no physical passport here. Instead, the call is to turn from our sin. Repent, he says. We place our trust in Jesus Christ and his saving work. We yield to Christ's reign, his sovereign rule over every area of our life. Russell prayed earlier, your kingdom come, your will be done. Repent, enter into his kingdom where Jesus Christ reigns as king. As the light dawned for some of the people of Galilee, it will dawn for you today if you place your trust in Jesus Christ. As you enter his light by God's grace, you will increasingly turn from your sin. Your Christian life will be marked by that putting sin to death daily, by turning away from the darkness daily, coming to the light of Christ. Now again, as we look around our world or our land or our city today, we recognize that not everybody comes into the light. Again, John 3, verse 19 is important here. John says, The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. What an image there. I was thinking of this uh, during the week, and I thought of the, the raccoons along our, our back, uh, I was going to say garden, but that's exaggerating, but that little back strip of land there, every night we can kind of see them shuffling along, and they, they stay in the shadows of the sensor light comes in. They, they duck under the, uh, under the deck at the back. They don't want the light. They want to shuffle along in the darkness, and they're so like you and I. For honest. Maybe a darkened room, maybe dimmed lights, maybe it's just a secret life that you want to shroud in darkness. His words call us into the light. First of all, fulfillment. Let's look on verses 18 to 22 and we'll see followers. There were many rabbis in Jesus' day who uh, were followed around by their students, their trainees, their apprentices. Or we could call them here their followers, their disciples. With Jesus, it was different because Jesus takes the initiative here. He, he calls, he sets apart these two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, and James, and John, to follow him as his disciples. Now again, we need to remember, you can go back to John 1, 41 for your homework this afternoon, read John's account. There we read that Andrew was already known by Jesus, and he came to Peter, and he said, Peter, we we got to go check out this, this, this new uh, guy here, Jesus of Nazareth. And they followed Jesus. John may also have been one of John the Baptist's disciples. So these men already knew Jesus, but now we have a very radical new call to discipleship. Uh, tells us that these four fishermen, these two sets of brothers, were partners in their fishing business. Peter and Andrew, we read there, they're casting out their circular nets uh, 
for a catch in the Sea of Galilee. And then we have James and John. They're working hard and they're sewing skills. They're mending the nets before they head out again on another fishing trip. Now they have a, a challenge. Now they would have to have a new master and a new mission. Let's look at those two things. First of all, a new master. It's very simply put. Jesus simply says to them, follow me. Literally, just come behind me. Follow me. With Jesus, you, you didn't have to go to school. Well, that sounds like good news for some of you. You didn't have to go to school. School was following Jesus on the way with Jesus, listening to those teachings, hearing his sermons, watching him in action, there these disciples began to know what it was like to follow Jesus. They would hear his teaching and eventually that teaching would be committed to our New Testament record. So when we think of becoming Jesus' disciples, we we know there are many things involved. What is a follower of Jesus? What's a disciple of Jesus? How would you, how would you define that person today? You would think of well, reading the Bible, praying, uh, fellowship in the church, uh, community, outreach, worship together, all of those things. But the most basic of all is right here. It's following Jesus as our new master. Now, we live in a world where it's easy to, to follow. Think of your social media. You're following what today? We don't want to share those, but it's very easy. We just click the mouse or click the paths. And now we are a follower. We're following. That's our new status. But following Jesus is a completely different world because we realize that Christ's disciples are to submit to his absolute authority as we live in obedience to his good and perfect will for our lives. Look at how these four men obeyed Jesus' call to follow him. Look at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now you may not be perhaps call to leave the Okanagan, to leave your workplace or your school, to give up your home or your family to follow Jesus. But we recognize that the conditions of discipleship haven't changed. They are simply the same. Submit your life to Jesus Christ's rule as your king. R.C. Sproul called it well. He called the Christian life a, a throwaway life. I don't know how many of us see our lives in that way like the like the styrofoam plates or the cups that perhaps we use and we we use them once and we throw them away and that's what rc sproul is is making the point here think of these four men three out of four were martyred for their faith john was the only one who lived to a, a very senior age the other three's lives yeah they would be laid down physically laid down for Jesus. So to follow Jesus today as believers, as disciples, is to be prepared to suffer, to take up our cross, to, you could say, to do the hard miles as we serve him. That's not an attractive message today in church world, is it? 
We want prosperity, wealth, health, and a comfortable church where we're not challenged or we don't have to serve in any way. No, he says, take up your cross. So there's a new master. Then verse 19, there is a new mission. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What a, what a career change here, you could say. Maybe some of us have had a career change, and we know what it's like. It's kind of radical. What we have here is a radical career change from drawing fish out of the depths of the Sea of Galilee to, as it were, by God's grace, drawing lost people out of the abyss of sin. This is their calling. This is Jesus' call to evangelism. Now, you may shrug your shoulders and say, oh, that's, that's impossible. How, how can God use me to, to lead sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? How can he ever do this? Well, we're told there, we turn to the one who assures us, I will make you. He says, I'm going to do a work in you. I am going to transform your Christian life and witness so that you too will be one of those fishers of men and women and children. Only God, by his grace, can save the lost. He's sovereign. He alone can save, but he chooses to use instruments. He uses those four ordinary fishermen. He uses you and I, ordinary in our lives, by his power to, to bring his light into the Okanagan. I love one definition of evangelism. It went like this. An evangelism is... And nobody who is seeking to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. Now, if you didn't get that all, go to freegrace.me, okay? So, again, an evangelist, and nobody who is seeking to tell everybody about somebody who is able to change anybody. And, again, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, then following him means we, we join him in his mission. We join him in everyday life. Maybe we, same person, serving us coffee every day. Uh, perhaps somebody in the grocery line. It may be a conversation across the, the fence with a neighbor. It may be simple questions like, you know, tell me about your spiritual journey. Uh, how, how can I pray for you? Just ordinary fishermen. Ordinary people like you and I. So this is the call to follow it may be a radical step of faith for some here. You may be here today, and the Lord is calling you to take that radical step of faith. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, says this, Have you been holding back from a risky, costly course to which you know in your heart God has called you? Hold back no longer. Your God is faithful to you and adequate for you. You will never need more than he can supply. What he supplies, both materially and spiritually, will always be enough for the presence. In our not-enoughness, I don't know if that's a word or not, in your not-enoughness or my not-enoughness, he is enough. Followers, fulfillment. Let's look finally, verses 23 to 25, and we'll see fame. Verse 24, his fame spreads. Now again, go back to 2,000 years. Your fame didn't spread on 
social media, by the news networks, by uh, five-star reviews of your latest uh, service or sermon. No, none of those, none of those things existed. Instead, word of mouth spread. Jesus' fame and reputation just grew over this vast geographical region. Look at the details there. Geography again, Syria, Gentile area north and to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And then you had the Decapolis. There were those 10 cities to the south and east of Galilee. You also have Galilee. You have Jerusalem. You have Judea. And the fame, his fame just spread. It makes us ask the question, why? Why did Jesus' fame spread unlike any of those other rabbis or religious leaders of the day? Well, Matthew describes why in his twofold ministry. Let's look at it there, verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach. Here is the, you could say, the turning point in his ministry. He focuses on the preaching and teaching of those scriptures. Verse 23, teaching in their synagogue. Imagine the, the vibe in the room when you knew that the guest preacher pulpit supply for next Sunday was Jesus of Nazareth, or I should say Saturday the Sabbath. Imagine the sense of excitement. Jesus is coming. He's going to be speaking. Why? Because he, speak, he spoke as one who had real authority. Jesus is preaching. There was no sleeping going on. You were sitting up and listening. Verse 23, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Again, this message that God is establishing his reign in the hearts and lives of men and women, young people. Good news. We too are called to preach and teach and bear witness. We think of Paul's words to his young friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. He says, Timothy, I want you to do this. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So there's our call of witnesses. It's not just the job of the professional, the paid pastor. It's uh, our, our call to be witnesses in season and out of season that may not always seem convenient. You know those conversations that happen? begin to open up somebody's starting to ask questions about our faith and we we're looking at our watch and we're thinking oh but i i gotta make this appointment i gotta see this guy i gotta be there i gotta be home so we're teaching our children on, at home on the road we're teaching one-on-one -on -one, a small group study perhaps we're just sharing the teaching of, of the lord jesus and then there's a healing ministry. Look again at this description. We see God's kingdom power coming in Jesus' ministry. And I stress this here in a unique way. Healing, we read there, every disease and every affliction among the people. Can you imagine the impact? No healthcare system, no modern day hospitals. No wonder his fame became known. Unique signs that God's kingdom was advancing in Jesus. Look at verse 24. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, fever, leprosy, malaria, whatever it was. Look at verse 24. Epileptics, paralytics as well. 
new life even for those possessed by demons. God's power brought light into their spiritual darkness in a special, unique way. Peter's description of the work of Jesus. He's talking to Cornelius. It's recorded there in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And he says this, he, speaking of Jesus, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What a summary. He went about doing good. That's our call as a church, to reach out in ministry to all those who are in need of God's touch, Christ's touch, mentally, physically, and spiritually. What a way to be described for free grace, Vernon. They went about doing good. For, for your life and mine, followers of Christ, he, he or she, we went about doing good. Jesus is still a great physician. He would like to touch your life today. He is able to heal those past wounds. He is able to calm and still those present anxieties. He is able to give you future hope, give you a bright future in him. Capernaum by the sea, just a, just a little fishing village. Lewisburg, Capernaum. But from that little insignificant town, the light of Christ went out to the, the masses of the people of that day. I loved Lewisburg because it had this great lighthouse out on the hill. And it was a, a lighthouse that back in time spelled hope for those out in sea struggling in the darkness to find their bearings. And the light from the lighthouse would make all the difference in the world. And I thought of this, so they thought of these words of Charles Spurgeon, another preacher. He said, the, the gospel is the death of darkness. It is the lighthouse that guides poor, weather-beaten humanity into the harbor of peace. There's good news. The death of darkness. We look at our news and we see darkness. And here we see the death of that darkness. How are weather-beaten culture needs the light of the gospel, how it needs the, the harbor of peace with God that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ alone. Do you have that relationship? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you taken up your cross to follow him? If so, are you ready perhaps for a, a career change? Go fishing. Go fishing in that sea of unbelievers, your life, my life as well, with that incredible privilege that we get to share the most incredible good news that's possible to share.